please take a seat and um, turn in your Bibles if you've turned away to Luke chapter 1 again. And as we begin, let me pray. Lord, we have just sung that your precepts, your word gives great delight. Lord, I pray that you would give us delight as we consider your graciousness and your kindness to us in the gospel. And so, Lord, I do pray then that the words that I speak and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, to begin with, I want you to think about your passport or your driving license. If can, I'll get mine out here. Here's my driving license. It's got information about you. Um, and I want to think about some of that information. Uh, our pastor is right in front of me, so I'll, I'll ask him a question. Um, pastor, what is your name according to your passport? Just your first name. I don't, don't, don't need to know all your middle names or anything. James. James claims his name is James. Okay. James, how do you know your name is James? <laughs> you have been called living names, yes. It's a name I've been called most of my life since I, since I can remember. Since you, yes. Yeah, so, who, who probably were the first people to call you James? Do you think? I think it probably would be my father and mother. Yeah, your father and mother. Your parents. Do you trust your parents? Yes. Yes. Okay. So James believes his name is James because his parents first called him that, and he trusts them. Okay. Um, let me ask, Ilya. Ilya. Um, call you. Uh, Narojnia Pe. Or when is your birthday? Today. It is Ilya's birthday today. Uh, Ilya, um, uh, one moment. Yak Jnaj Te. Or how do you know? Your pa yes, but well, well, who who filled in your passport then? If that's what you. <laughs> how do you how do you know before you got a passport that your birthday was today? Your parents told you. Yes. D do you trust your parents? Yes. Okay. Good. Andre and Maria are trustworthy people. That's good. You see, the simplest way we know... So, thank you, both of you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, James. The simplest way we know something is, being by, is, is by being told by someone trustworthy. For a lot of the information on our passport, it's because we were told by our parents. It's true of your passport. It's also true of Luke's gospel. We can know something because we're told by someone trustworthy. Now, this is helpful because we are in a world torn apart by different ways of knowing things. Not all of them are bad, but we are offered different ways of knowing things. We are, for example, given uh, we can know things by testing or the scientific method. 
And we're also told sometimes that we can know things by feeling. Let's think about those in, in, in turn. The scientific method or, or knowing things by testing them, that is great, great for understanding things inside the universe. It is useless for understanding things outside the universe. Good for inside the universe, useless for outside the universe. Let me, let me kind of illustrate that. So God has made an orderly universe, which works in an orderly way. Great. So how do you find the boiling temperature of water? Classic school experiment there. How do you find the boiling temperature of water? Well, yeah, you do an experiment. You put water in a kettle and you see what the temperature is when it starts boiling. And what do you find? It's 100 degrees Celsius. Yeah, and, and if you weren't sure, you can do it at home when you get back after church. You can do that experiment over and over again. And pretty much every time it'll be 100 degrees Celsius. But here's the problem. God is outside the universe. So you can't do experiments on him. You certainly cannot put God inside a kettle. And so the scientific method, you see, it's good for things inside the universe, like knowing the boiling temperature of water and more complicated things. But it is useless for us to understand things about God, because God is not inside the universe. Okay, so it's a good way of learning things, but, but not, not the best. We're also told lots today about feeling. We can know things because we feel them to be true. Now, again, it's, it's great to understand ourselves in part, you know, it's good to, feeling is good to be empathetic, but it is not good for knowing everything about me. So let me illustrate that again for you, right? If I want to know if I'm happy or sad, how do I know if I'm happy or sad? Why? Well, it's because I, I feel happy or I feel sad. So it helps me in that sense. It helps me know what, what my emotion is. It helps me know what my mood is. But what if I feel that I'm a woman? Feeling I'm a woman doesn't necessarily make me a woman any more than feeling I'm black makes me black. Feelings help me to know some things, but they are very shortcoming in other areas. Okay? They don't get very far in certain areas. Good for emotions, less helpful for other things. So then the question we are left with is, how do we know anything, let alone know something indeed about God? What is the best way to know God? What is the best way to know that the Bible is true? Well, as we've seen, Luke claims that Theophilus may know something with certainty. Verse 4 says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught on Ukrainian Shob Piznav Tier Istotu Nayuke Yakoyu Navchevsia. Good, I'll leave. So, what then, what does Luke want Theophilus to know with certainty? Well, it is, notice, it's the things that he has been taught. It is the things he has been taught. Now, that word for taught in Greek gives us the word catechism. It's, it's, it's a similar word. 
which is quite cool because we're obviously doing the Heidelberg Catechism in our evenings at the moment. And it is if Theophilus wants to know if the Heidelberg Catechism is true. He's gone to church, he's done the Catechism, or, or, or he's done like, you know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Is it true? Is the gospel that I've been taught true? Well, Luke says yes, and what does he do? Well, he gives trustworthy witnesses. Trustworthy witnesses. He has two, two uh, types, one in verse 1 and one in verse 2. So we'll take those in turn. So verse 1 then, Luke's first uh, batch of trustworthy witnesses are accounts of what has been fulfilled. Accounts of what has been fulfilled. This notion of something being fulfilled, it comes again even at the end of Luke's gospel. Luke kind of tops and tails his gospel with this idea of fulfillment. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus says to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Everything written, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. The Old Testament must be fulfilled. And so Luke, when he's, when he's writing his gospel, he's looking at the Old Testament, all the different predictions made about the Messiah, all the promises of things that God said he would do. And then he's looking at accounts of Jesus' life and saying, ah, Jesus fulfilled this one. Oh, and there. Jesus fulfilled that. Oh, and Jesus fulfilled this. Yes, that has been fulfilled by Jesus. And, and my friends, I, I want to really kind of hammer this home. I think sometimes because we're so kind of used to the Bible, we don't quite realize that like the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before the New Testament. Well, parts of it were, yeah? And like, for example, do we remember that Isaiah 53, which when we read, we go, that's clearly talking about Jesus, for in hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And if, you know, you read uh, Jewish commentators before the coming of Jesus, you know, a lot of them think it's the Messiah, but there's kind of some uncertainty. Later commentators think maybe the suffering servant is Israel, which is kind of confusing, but we're not quite sure. And now that Jesus has come, only now we, you know, we see with hindsight, we look at Isaiah 53 in the suffering servant and we see, oh, of course that's talking about Jesus. Isn't it obvious? But that's the benefit of the hindsight that we look at Isaiah 53 and, and other places and we go, that is clearly talking about Jesus. How could it not be? And I think sometimes we lose the appreciation of that surprise that, oh, wow, it really is talking about Jesus. And so, my friends, if you want to know that the Bible is true, one way is you just look at the two halves. You look at the, 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 the first half, you've got all these promises, all these prophecies, all these anticipations, and you see that Jesus fulfills them in the second half. It's incredible. It's incredible. Jesus actually fulfills prophecy. And that is the first thing that Luke looks at. He says, people have have drawn up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. That's the first section. 
what is Luke's uh, second batch of, of witnesses, trustworthy witnesses? Well, it's in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Just as, as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Eyewitnesses are his second batch. Eyewitnesses. Now notice this, this phrase, eyewitnesses and servants of the word, that, that's talking about the same group of people. And I want to think a little bit about this phrase, servants of the word, because the people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, right? They, they saw him do the things he did. They heard him say the things he say. They're called servants of the word. Well, let's pick apart that phrase a little bit. What is the word here? They're servants of the word. What is the word here? Well, that same word, word, comes again in verse 4, where it's rightly translated as things. So you, you might know the certainty of the things you, were, you have been taught. So I think it's safe to see a little link there. And I think the word in this sense is, is, the, is the content of Theophilus's catechism. It's the content of the catechesis. It's what Theophilus has been taught. So in that sense, really, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the, the apostolic message about Jesus. As J.C. Ryle says, the gospel at its first publication was far more simple than many make it now. It was neither more nor less than the history of Christ. The history of Christ. That's what it is. Servants of the word, the message about Jesus, the gospel, the history of Christ. And actually, in a kind of secondary sense for us today, you know, think about it. What are these things? What is the apostolic message? What is the gospel? What is the history of Christ? The content of Theophilus's catechism. Well, today, we know these things as scripture. What is the apostolic message? It is scripture. What is the gospel? It is scripture. And so in, in a kind of secondary sense, right, these eyewitnesses are servants of scripture, servants of the gospel. Now let's think then, what does it mean that they are servants of this word, servants of this message, servants of this gospel? Think of them as servants in the same way that a waiter serves you food. They come and they serve you food. They give you the food. The eyewitnesses serve us the word. They serve us the word. They give it to us. They are servers of the word in that sense. You see, in God's plan, their role is to provide later generations with the word. It is the start of an unfailing tradition. Notice how it says, from the first. These eyewitnesses are from the first, and they handed it down, it says in verse uh, uh, 2. They handed down from the first. So, so the eyewitnesses, you know, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, they faithfully hand down to the early church this message. And then the early church, they preserve it in their time and pass it on to the next, and so on and so forth. You have this preservation of the word against false teaching and then passing it on to the next generation preservation passing it on 
This is tradition in, in the good sense of the word. The preservation of the truth about Jesus so that it can be passed on to the next generation. And so then, what is the good news here? What is, what is the thing that should give us joy? Well, it is that we may know the certainty of the things we have been taught because of these faithful, trustworthy eyewitnesses who have served us the word. They have handed it down from generation after generation. We may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Shob piznav te istotu nayuku yakoyu nav we might know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Compare that. Compare that with other uh, Christian heresies, with other sects. Think about Muhammad uh, for Islam. He's alone in his cave when he has his first vision of Gabriel in that, in that cave called Hira. No one can verify that. No one knows for sure if Muhammad actually had a vision. Or even if he did, no one can verify that it truly was Gabriel. It's, he was alone in a cave. It is by nature unverifiable. Many of you here uh, know that I've been meeting with um, some Latter-day Saints. Uh, Mormons, as we might know them, but they prefer, I think, to be called Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith was alone in the woods when he prayed about different denominations and which was true. And he was there, it was a, he was alone when, according to him, the, the father and the son came down and said, oh, they're all wrong, and here's, uh, here's the truth. We've just got to take his word for his 1820 vision. You just, he was alone. It's not verifiable. It cannot, by nature, be verified. Compare that, then, with Jesus. God made flesh, who walks around for 33-odd years. There were if like there weren't even eyewitnesses, there were also hand feelers and ear listeners. As Paul says in Acts 26, 26, these things were not done in a corner. They were not hidden away. So that you know, only only the special elite few had that access to the knowledge. Jesus walked around, he died publicly, his resurrection appearances were public, and there were eyewitnesses. Many, many eyewitnesses. The truth of the gospel is not some thing where we, we've just got to take Luke's word for it because he was the only one who saw. No, it's verifiable. It's trustworthy too. There are eyewitnesses who saw it. We can have certainty knowing the things that we have been taught about. Which is really, really wonderful because it's not just we want to know some abstract things are true. Because why did Jesus come? He came to save us. He came to save us from our sin. And so God has come to save you in a verifiable way. God has come to save you in a witnessed way. God has come to save you in a way that has been corroborated and confirmed by trustworthy eyewitnesses. A fun little game, if you like, to play when you read the Gospel of Luke is to think, who was the eyewitness 
to this bit of this passage that I'm reading. Who was the eyewitness? Who was the trustworthy eyewitness? We may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Shlob pez nav te istotu nayukyu nayukye yakoyu nav navchevsya. God has come to rescue us in a verifiable and witnessed way. Because the best way to know something is to have a trustworthy witness. And we have that in Luke's gospel. Let me pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you that you've come that you, you sent your son to save us. But not only that, you sent your son to save us in an eyewitnessed way, in a verifiable, trustworthy way. Thank you that we can therefore know the truth of our faith because of reliable, trustworthy witnesses. Not only were you gracious in sending a savior, you were gracious in providing eyewitnesses who can confirm that Jesus really is the savior. And so, Lord, we, I do pray that all of us here in this room would know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Help us to know you deeply, truly, and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.